1: So let me ask you this: What did you think? Did you like Saul Goodman right when we first meet him here?
2: I did, I did, and uh, he quickly became one of my favorite characters just because of the the comic relief.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing about this character, right? I mean, I liked Bob Odenkirk. I, I was I liked Mr. Show, which was you know around for a while, and before before he shows up here. It seemed like an interesting choice because of that. You know what I mean. Um, he was a comedy guy, and while Breaking Bad is funny, it wasn't really a comedy show. You know what I mean. And um, I thought he was amusing, but I mean, I think if I like like compare it to the introduction of Gus, maybe you know, like I found Gus a lot more intriguing uh, from 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 the beginning, and so. I guess the, the next question then is whenever Breaking Bad finished and the rumors were going around that they were going to make a Saul show, how excited for that were you?
2: Personally, very excited. So as I as I just noted, Saul was one of my favorite characters on Breaking Bad. So I was really excited. I was a little concerned. I wasn't sure how they would be able to to pull it off. And of course, you know they they had discussed doing like a half an hour comedy uh, type show before. Mm-hmm. You know they they settled on doing an hour long drama, which you know I'm I'm glad they did. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I was I was actually really excited to revisit this world. I was really really pumped. Yeah,
1: I think I mean I remember pretty distinctly whenever I first watched um, you know B- Better Call Saul when it first came out, and I was definitely. Excited to to see what they did, but I I, I wasn't excited about the choice of of making a, a a purely Saul show. Um, I think that was a pretty common idea at the time. I think you were kind of an outlier, and and you know yeah, <laughs> being super excited about it. <laughs> I think there was a lot of Saul fans. I mean, like he you know he was a great character. Um. But I think what what's really interesting is because you know we just finished Saul and and um, we know a lot more about it, and so we were excited when we we're getting ready to do this episode, you know, to, to reintroduce him into the Breaking Bad timeline and see how everything has been recontextualized based on what we know. We have a lot more information about Jimmy McGill, and you know, that, I guess that's that's sort of where I was was going with all this is that it's a really it's a, it's a crazy surprise. How interesting a character this is, all things considered, for me, from my point of view, you know, that, like, how, how he, how they really, because, I mean, I really like Jimmy McGill, you know what I mean? Mm.
2: Yeah, Agreed agreed completely there. And so one of the things I really appreciate about Better Call Saul as a series is that they didn't just give us all this backstory on this one character who was a clown, you know, and I, I was amused by him. I thought he was a great character, very funny. And uh-huh. um, I, I was really excited for the show. But I was also really excited to see... backstory of the other characters. So I think what they were able to do with Mike and with Gus is amazing. So you get so much in Better Call Saul uh, that really recontextualizes a lot of of Breaking Bad um, and really deepened my love for these characters. Like I liked Mike. I liked Saul. I liked Gus in Breaking Bad, but I love all three of those characters in, uh, (laughs) in Better Call Saul. And when Better Call Saul first started, like the first couple episodes, like bringing back Tuco and everything, I was like, oh, this is kind of cheesy, you know, like using some of like very similar dialogue and mm-hmm. and um, acting from Raymond Cruz, for example. And I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. So, but then um, I think with the the introduction of his brother of uh, Charles, and certainly with him, I was like, okay, they they really have something new here to tell. And uh, I got hooked really, really early with Saul. I was, I was all in, and you said I was, I'm an outlier, definitely, a hundred percent. I'm an outlier in like pretty much everything, but <laughs> you know, I I love Saul. And um, dare I even say it that I like Saul better than Breaking Bad?
1: Yeah, That's I, I mean, th- we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into things because we we did a little bit of uh, watching both um, for this, but you keep bringing up this guy mike who's who's mike what are you talking about (laughs) i've only seen breaking bad through episode 208 uh i don't know who this mike guy you're talking about is
2: well he gets referenced in 208 as the pi who does uh you know uh research on walt so (laughs) and we'll meet him um later this season
3: why don't you just kill badger I mean, follow me, guys, but mosquitoes buzzing around you, bite you on the ass, you don't go gunning for the mosquitoes, attorney. You go grab a fly swatter, I mean, so to speak. I mean, all due respect, but do I have to spell this out for you? We're not killing badger, yo! Then you got real problems, okay, because the DEA is going to come down on your boy like a proverbial ton of bricks. <laughs>
1: Hey, this is Growth Decay Transformation, a Breaking Bad Rewatch podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Courtney. And today we're talking about 208, Better Call Saul, which is introducing a new character that we have talked a lot about in different shows and different videos. Um, We finally made it. Uh, We finally made it to the introduction of Jamie McGill, although we won't talk about him here by that name. So how about we get a synopsis of what happened?
2: Yeah, so this episode starts with a oneer where it's one long take, although they did have to figure out how to add in some edits of it, um, of a Badger getting busted. So he's sitting on this, uh, this park bench with a Better Call Saul advertisement on it, and he tries to sell, or he does sell, to an undercover cop. We then transition to a classic Better Call Saul commercial, which is being shown on Jesse's new flat screen, which is finally turned on, and uh, the reveal that Jesse and Jane have taken their relationship to the next level. When Jesse suggests that they uh, burn a joint, Jane reveals that she is in recovery. Meanwhile, Marie calls the White House in a panic, so Walt goes over to the house to find Hank holed up in his bed. He's clearly suffering from PTSD, and Marie leaves them to talk alone. Later at Jesse's, Walt questions why they're short, and then we find out that everyone was too scared to tell Jesse that Badger got busted. Hank goes to work, and Gomi tells him the news that they finally busted a blue meth dealer, Badger. They leave to go question him, and at the station, the undercover cop who busted Badger is trying to persuade him to tell him who he works for when... Sal Goodman enters the room and gives Badger uh, instructions on how to pay him. Outside of a strip mall, Walt and Jesse debate who will go inside to talk to Saul. Walt loses the coin toss. He always loses the coin toss. <laughs> and uh, he introduces himself to Saul as Badger's uncle, Mr. Mayhew.
1: I was just going to say, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but thinking about if it had gone the other way is is kind of a fun thought experiment, right? If Jesse had gone in and talked to Saul the first time, it would have been a lot different. I wonder how that would have how that would have went down. I mean, you think he would have trusted Jesse more just because he does, as Walt pointed out, look like one of his regular clients?
2: Maybe you mean in terms of like accepting the bribe from him? Yeah, could be. I mean, we know it's not the first time that Jesse's ever been to that office because if you watch Six Eleven, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, you'll know that uh, he goes there with Emilio and he stands mm-hmm. outside. He doesn't actually go inside. It is a it is an interesting thought, though. Okay, getting back to this, where was I? Okay, so when Walt learns that the DEA is investigating, he offers Saul a $10,000 bribe, which Saul refuses. Later that night, as Saul is leaving his office, and, you know, he uh, offers to uh, follow Francesca home, um, Walt and Jesse kidnap him and then drive him out to the desert and kneel him in front of an open grave. Saul agrees to take the bribe and comes up with the plan to have a repeat offender, James Kilkelly, also known as Jimmy in and out pose as Heisenberg. The DEA has Badger meet with Heisenberg on the same park bench he got busted on as they wait in the cars. Jesse and Walt wait down the street in the Aztec. A bald man comes over and sits next to Badger, and Badger's trying to make the deal with this guy, not realizing it's the wrong guy. Finally, Jimmy shows up, but he sits on the wrong bench. So Walt forces Jesse to get out of the car to tell Badger as he distracts Hank. It works, and Badger moves over to the other bench and the deal goes down as planned. Back at Jesse's, Jane comes over and they try out his new mattress. And then the episode closes with Walt in his classroom after school grading papers when Saul comes in and explains that it was way too easy for his PI to find him and makes the case that Walt needs him and his counsel. He says, if you want to make more money and keep the money you make, better call Saul.
1: Better call so, Saul.
2: Yeah. So uh, what did you think about, about this one, Pete? Either when you first watched it or upon rewatch, what occurred to you?
1: Um, It's a little bit weird. Uh, I can't remember what I thought about the first time, but it's a little bit weird in the way that it's structured to sort of have this roadblock and then solve it. It it almost feels like a different show the way that they, you know, it, it like is set up or whatever. It feels a little bit more episodic than um serialized, which it's you know, they they've been pretty they've been, you know, moving at a pretty um deliberate pace up until this. But I mean, even when you don't know what to make of this new character, Saul Goodman, and how important he'll turn out to be for this whole universe and everything else you know this episode does still feel important while things were bad at home and Walt's making these bad decisions as far as expanding you know like that's all really concerning it did start to feel like in the background they were starting to make some money and that they were making some progress towards securing the cash that he wanted to leave behind for his family things were looking like they were on the i don't know i want to say like improving or they were good but you know they were they were trending in the direction of where he wanted to to go right um and so badger getting busted that's this next obstacle that you kind of knows coming or whatever and um it once again like in- exposes how incompetent they are and, um, you know, Saul is the perfect remedy for that because as much as he kind of comes off like a cartoon character, it does, by even by the end of this episode, it becomes apparent that he is pretty good at what he does, you know, and he could be mm-hmm. a missing ingredient to this, you know, fledgling operation that they're putting together. He might be the thing that they need to take them to the next level and, um he's funny. So that's, you know, that's a pretty interesting prospect. And like I said, I think it does feel important, even like, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. What do you think? What was your, what were your overall impressions?
2: Well, something you just said about how incompetent Walton and, and Jesse are is something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially after watching Better Call Saul 611 again, and how like they really try to put, like create the, the narrative that Walt could not have become Heisenberg without this guy, right? And of course that's something that Jimmy in Better Call Saul owns in in the finale um that the you know he was an integral part of that whole operation and, and Walt's success. And it's uh something of course that like you know he's he's a great lawyer. He um helps Walt out a lot over the rest of the series. Um, and really pulls his ass out of the fire on multiple occasions, right? So like from the, you know, connecting him with like everyone in his little black book, like the vacuum cleaner guy, Ed, so on and so forth. Um, but it, You know, I think rewatching it now, this is like the part that was most recontextualized for me because like it's not actually that difficult for me to separate the two shows because I've seen this one first and I'm so familiar Mm -hmm. with it. Right. And like I tend to think of them like Saul Goodman and Jimmy McGill as, as somewhat separate characters, but it was different for me. This time. And uh, as noted, this episode is one that is kind of near and dear to my heart just because it introduces one of the most important characters and my personal favorite character in Mm -hmm. the Breaking Bad universe. Although Kim Wexler is. I was going to say, I didn't see
1: Kim in this episode at all.
2: I I didn't see Kim in this episode, but I couldn't help but think of the end of 609, Fun and Games, and that like really jarring jump cut, you know, from them breaking up to him being this this guy that we see in this episode and it was like tinged with a a certain amount of sadness watching it because like i've always just thought of of saul as like the clown as the comedic relief but i, I mm-hmm. it really did carry over for me this time I, I was thinking about all of that the weight of that history and how he actually became saul goodman and mm-hmm. not that kim is what turned him into saul kim uh saul goodman but um that was like you know the final straw maybe that's a whole other di- whole other yeah. discussion um but yeah so so watching the the birth of this persona Saul Goodman and rewatching this knowing how he got there definitely made me feel differently about this character.
1: Yeah and and as you mentioned you know watching 611 BC you know better call Saul 611 it, it's pretty you know like it's it's not really that subtle when you know how it ends right like uh mm-hmm. the I remember watching, you know, 611. I remember we, we talked about it in a live stream afterwards. Um, and there was, there was a lot of questions when you watched it at first, like, why is he doing what he's doing? What was the, what was the, that, that telephone call? You know, you knew he was calling to to Kim, uh, you know, it, it, you didn't see it from her point of view yet, like, which mm-hmm. happens in the next episode in Better Call Saul. And so there was a lot of stuff, but like, it's pretty it's a pretty clear it's a pretty clear thing you know like he he breaks bad after he talks to her you know after that goes wrong right yeah. um mm-hmm. he he goes out and he does these he goes on to like this next level of um scamming like this really kind of despicable scamming that he does there uh, you know drugging people and everything else right yeah. it, it, it's a direct result of this whatever this bad feeling he has that he got from this, this phone call. And so, yeah, like when you watch this episode now, there's a, there's a little bit of time in between, but this is what we're seeing, what he's, where he's at as a character, whenever they meet him is a direct result of what happens in 609. Right. Uh, better call Saul 609 whenever she leaves. And, um, yeah, that, that is much, a much sadder story. Um, you know, than, than previously, than what it seemed like previously.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, he really is Frankenstein's monster. hmm A hundred percent. And, oh, uh, God, if you haven't seen Better Call Saul, <laughs> this, you have to check out 611 Breaking Bad. So good. I love everything about that episode. So good. Watching yeah. Watching himself, con- like, just self deconstruct right and um as, as you noted pete it was the the phone call that really tipped him over there i, I think i i don't know if i mentioned this when we live streamed after we watched uh that episode or if i m- talked about this in one of the videos that i made because i made a couple of videos about this one um but it seemed to me like he really wanted to to get caught but that's like a another another story there and of course once we have like the, the full context of that conversation that those two characters had yeah I think maybe subconsciously he did. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um. I, I. 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 There's a couple other things I think that'll tie in with that. But to bring it back to Breaking Bad, since this is a Breaking Bad rewatch podcast, as an aside, I guess, like you know, as making videos about Better Call Saul for for a few years, this opening of this episode is one that I went back to to use for the clip several times. You know. Just because he's sitting on the bench, you know it's Bad mm-hmm. Badger. He's sitting on the bench, and the Better Call Saul advertisements there, and it's a great looking shot. Um, and and it's it's always been one of my favorite. It's like a, it's not a very event like not much happens in this teaser as compared to a lot of them. You know what I mean? Um, as far as like, it, you know, it's it's pretty linear as yeah. based on the, on what comes next in the episode or whatever. But I always liked it and i never really put two and two together that it was a one-er until um you know i just rewatched it this time you know and um that i guess that you know that's always i always liked the how they you know it was sort of a uh, a wide shot you know where you can see them and and you can see everything in that um you know there's not there's no real close ups of what's going on there it always gave it a nice feeling or whatever but um it's a really memorable uh teaser i think and i love how there's this badger talks himself into getting arrested here right you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like the guy he you know he tells the guy i smell bacon or whatever you know (laughs) or i so smell bacon he points out where both vans are (laughs) (laughs) he totally has the drop on them Mm -hmm. but because the cop you know, kind of outsmarts him and says, okay, I'm leaving then, you know, no, no big deal. Badger talks himself into getting caught. And I just think that was such a great way to construct the, uh, you know, this, this whole situation.
2: Yeah, agreed completely. And uh, something that I picked up on rewatching this, right? So how does he actually get, how does the undercover cop actually get Badger to do it? He says, well, I've got it, you know, you have to ask me, like, if, you know it's in the constitution that like a police officer has to tell you. The American Constitution or the Constitution <laughs> of America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean so he um he he uses the the weights or the credibility of of the constitution to um to lie to Badger to to get him to um to sell to him. But rewatching this episode you might you might have noticed that the constitution comes up a couple times right? So that's mm-hmm. of course something that saul says in his commercials right so like did you know you have rights the constitution says you do right (laughs) and um badger mentions it again when he's being interviewed by the undercover cop whose name is gets by the way i'll just call him gets the the guy that looks like he's like in preschool as as saul jokes um and uh he says like (laughs) what is he saying badger says i like guys who don't like abuse the constitution you know so like this idea of like it's. I feel like in a way it's kind of poking fun at like this uh certain sensibility of like American uh, American like ideals about mm-hmm. like uh you know what is what is sacred and stuff like that. And in both cases, both the the police officer and Soller are appealing to this to this this value, this idea of the Constitution and the naivete of um would be criminals or criminals, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting how like we had the two different presentations of the Constitution yeah. uh, throughout.
1: And you know, he he likes people who don't I mean, I, I, I really I guess we'll we'll get back to that at some point, but I, I do really like the the performance there from uh Badger. He's he's really hurt that this guy that he thought he was gonna <laughs> hang out with Yeah,
2: I thought we were gonna hang that. out.
1: Yeah, they would do that to him. But um yeah, but he, you know, he says, I, I like people who don't abuse the Constitution, but then he meets Saul Goodman, who Abuses makes a living out of abusing yeah. the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. So in the case exactly. that wasn't, you know, that wasn't explicit, that it's, it's that's a great little, uh, little thing that they have right there.
2: Don't forget your pants. We'll be back after this short break.
0: Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Ha-D, Fire and Blood and the 1980's Shogun miniseries continues, but then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked the question, who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later.
3: Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. The first two episodes drop simultaneously on apple tv plus and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe you can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for bald move pulp or bald move prestige
0: in your favorite podcast app
2: Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth decay transformation.
1: From there we go to, as you mentioned, the uh, TV commercial, which will become an ongoing thing throughout the series. We'll see different ones. The idea that um, Jane is in recovery, you know, there, this has sort of been... There's been something that was going on with Jane since we first met her. We really couldn't figure out what it was. We knew there was an attraction, something that she that gave her a connection to Jesse. Um, now we kind of know where that's at. Um, yeah, thought- she
2: mentions. Yeah, sorry, she yeah, she mentions that. Um, her dad has busted her many, many times, right? Right. And uh, so, the, I mean, but but as you were saying, this was heavily foreshadowed, right? That the mm-hmm. connection or the attraction she had to Jesse was on. This the shared experience when it comes to family and disappointments.
1: Yeah, and I thought that they really I thought they did a really good job of setting this up too, because I mean, we don't know much about her, but like all of this spells that she's going to, you know, that Jesse's going to be bad for her, right? Um mm-hmm. and and you kind of see her know that. You know, like she she, she figures that out, too, not just us, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but then she's not really ready to make the right choice and just sort of, you know, peace out on him. And, you know, we'll see how that, that turns out um, in the coming yeah, episodes.
2: If anything, it makes him more attractive to her. So when he comes back later in the episode and she had led in the movers to drop off his mattress, you mm-hmm. know, uh, this was after that whole exchange That morning, I'm assuming it was maybe the day before or the morning where they woke up together the first time they were intimate. And um, so, yeah, I mean, she's she's she definitely makes makes her own choices here. And then, of course, later after Combo dies and she goes to walk out of the apartment, that's one of I mean, it's a huge turning point, of course, for that character. Um, but you you can already start to see how that is foreshadowed, those choices that she makes, those bad choices. So the scene I'm talking about that happens later is Jesse's really depressed, and he tells her to leave because he wants to get high because he's so depressed. And uh-huh. she's like, come to a meeting with me, and he's like, no, you should just leave. She goes to leave, and then she turns around and comes back, and the rest is history, so to speak. But I, I feel like that's all very, very heavily foreshadowed here. And we talked a little bit about this in – um, the the last episode about uh the two different relationships that we were starting to see unfold between Skylar mm-hmm. and Ted, and then Jesse and Jane, and how like they're both like you can already see how doomed both of those relationships are going to be, and I I feel like this one just like this episode really just just adds to that. Um, it's it's interesting to go back and watch, and you can see like all the the little hints along the way, right?
1: Yeah, I I did like the idea that the satellite's finally on. I thought that was a nice way to. Orient us in the timeline of like how that that went down and everything else, and um, you brought up Skylar there. Not much Skylar at all in this episode. Just a quick.
2: I was gonna say, but what we do get with Skylar, I think, is really interesting, right? So like that one scene where. Um, she's, I guess it's like a Saturday, I'm assuming Uh because yeah, yeah, casual Saturday and she's all dressed and she's bringing pasta salad or whatever she has to work. And she's wearing like a low cut dress and he's looking at her up and down and, um, she says it's work, Walt, everybody's going to be there. You know, after he remarks that, like, you know, you look, you look nice. Um, and it, it struck me as, as, um, very defensive, right? Like mm-hmm. it was, uh, she's protesting a little bit too much. So she might be feeling a little bit guilty just by the thoughts that she's having already, the flirtations that she's already been sort of exploring with, um, with Ted, you know, and I, re- when I rewatched this one, I was watching with my husband and he was, he had like a different take on this one and he was like, see, like, you know, Walt's really had nothing to worry about. And I was like, I don't know about that, you know? Cause I, I've, I i do not know the way, like she, you know, kind of covered herself and she was like, Oh, everyone's going to be there. What's the big deal sort of thing. I don't know. Hmm. What did, what did you think about that?
1: Well, I thought that it felt like, yeah, I, I agree with you that she was a little bit too defensive. It felt like it was setting something up but we don't see where what that is, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it, I guess that's overall that's what I thought about what we see from her in this episode it was that, that it was kind of um it was kind of just there to to remind us that she exists but uh this really the episode really isn't concerned with her too much. I I don't know. I mean, I wondered briefly like is this something like is everyone really going to be there? Is this something different? Like is is you know like is there something like, where she's just going in to, to get the extra money and then, you know, she's hoping that, that he'll be there. Like, you know, what I mean, I, w- I wasn't really clear on what was happening, but it, it did seem like there was something that she wasn't being upfront about. You just don't know what that is at, at that point.
2: Yeah, well, I, I I got the impression she was telling the truth. Like, it is just a work thing, right? Um And, I mean, we see, like, later uh at that really cringe cringy happy birthday that she sings to to ted (laughs) it's Um, one of the
1: most cringy things that happens
2: oh it's so painful to watch like the secondhand embarrassment secondhand embarrassment is is next level with that one but no i think with this one it's like uh you know she she's obviously put more effort into her appearance she looks very nice she looks attractive she's highlighting her you know femininity by wearing a low plunging dress and everything so um, she wants to, to look nice for her boss, right? And I think, you know, um that, that's where that awkwardness comes from, right? And, and there's like this unspoken thing between both her and, and Walt that Yeah,
1: like, and we were we, cause we sort of got into it whenever Aaron was on about where Walt thought he was with her at the end of, you know, the situation with the um with Gretchen saying that she wasn't yeah. gonna pay anymore. And yeah, I think kind of you know he he seems like there's that his his radar was up a little bit here but he he, he kind of accepted that this is all just normal because it does it, it keeps the the focus off of him right like he doesn't yeah. have to he doesn't have to explain like where he's going for the mm-hmm. weekend or whatever because she's she's got her own stuff that she's doing now so it, it it all does feel like it's it's kind of working in his favor at this point but you know it, just like anything in this show, whenever it starts to work too good, then something comes up to to uh, mess it up for them. And um, I wanted to talk about a little bit before we get into to that. Before we get into like the arrest and everything else that happens there, and and Saul's introduction, but it, this quick exchange between Hank and Walt because I thought that that is another thing that feels like um, I mean, there's a there's a decent amount of Hank in this episode, but like this little this little interaction here, it feels similar to the one that we have with, um, Jane and Jesse in that, you know, it's, it's setting, it's setting the stage for a lot of things that are going to develop between these two characters going forward. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they kind of do this thing in, in where you put Walt in a situation with a character and it almost feels like he might confess, you know what I mean? And, um, you're like, it, it makes you sort of really pay attention or whatever, even though, you know, he probably won't or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's like, you know, he, he says, what is, well, what does Hank say? He says, um, you and me, we don't have much of a, what you might call experiential overlap, right? Yeah. And then he says, oh, but maybe we do, or what if I told you we do? And then you think, oh, he's going to tell him that he's a meth cook, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's, that's the initial reaction, right? And then of course he doesn't do that. But um th- I thought this scene was was really interesting because you see that Walt is he, you know he's saying this stuff. He you know he's saying that um he was scared, he was always, you know, he lived his life a certain way, he couldn't sleep at night. Uh was he was worried about things that might happen. But then ever since he had his diagnosis, he sleeps fine, you know. And I think all of that's somewhat true, right? Like I don't think Oh, I
2: think, agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's somewhat true, but I think that it's also the fact that he has started doing this other thing mm-hmm. that empowers him, that makes him feel like he's he's a different person. And um I'm not sure if the character knows how that works or whatever or or what's working there, but like I really like this this interaction between him and Hank because he's giving good advice. You know, it's it's similar to, to where you see a lot of other characters do that for him at times. You know, like they tell him the thing he needs to hear and he's just like, no, screw that. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he kind of does that with, with Hank here and we see how, how Hank, ha, ha, you know, has a character is incapable of kind of, of doing the things that might make sense for him. And I thought that I thought that Dean Norris does a really really good job of cycling through that whenever these two characters are talking because I mean obviously we know that you know Brian Cranston is really good at these kinds of scenes uh where you can kind of follow his character's thinking through like the way he looks as he's you know processing the information I think you you see a really good example of that with Hank here.
2: Yeah agreed it, it is a really interesting conversation for for a couple of reasons most of which you just you just noted there. Um, but just something that I think is, is really highlighted in that scene between these two characters is that moment of candor, because I do believe what Walt is saying is true, that he's lived his life in fear up to the point where faced with his own mortality, right? And then uh, he realized he had nothing really to, to fear anymore. I mean, isn't that like the greatest fear that that most of us have is this idea of death? But for Walt, it's, it's uh, you know, like he knows he's going to die and he seems to have come to peace with that. I don't think he really feels his his own mortality as as a as a threat Instead, he's threatened by other things like like uh being irrelevant or not uh being respected and that ego being challenged and things like that so that's what's going to be like what what motivates him going forward but you know with with hank we see the complete opposite this is a character when faced with his own mortality uh reacts the way most people most healthy normal people would react right mm. where like you know, uh, you develop some serious like existential crisis over that, and we see that in the form of PTSD with with Hank. But um, I, I also really love the acting in that scene and how when Walt says to him at the end of that, you know, so you go out there and you kick it in its teeth, and then the way that Hank uh, sits up and he puts his you know chest up and his yeah. shoulders back, and then we actually see him go out into the world. And it's something that I think is really, really interesting, um, in terms of how Walt is able to motivate Hank. Cause we're going to see this again and again and again throughout the series. Um, and how actually instrumental <laughs> Walt is in motivating Hank to ultimately yeah. catch him. Right. So, um, there, there are several occasions like when he suggests that it couldn't have been Gail Bedecker who was the real mastermind yeah. behind, um, <laughs> best friend. Hubris. He could not be, cause, and that's ego, right? And then later, um, of course, when, uh, when I, I, there, there are a couple other occasions where, where this happens, but it's like, well, wants to be caught maybe like subconsciously in a way. So I mentioned earlier that I think Jimmy, as in Saul McGill, um, maybe wanted to get caught and maybe, maybe Hank, uh, Walt does in a way too. I don't know. Some interesting stuff going on between them though, for sure.
1: I had that same thing in my notes that, you know, how the way that Hank drops his shoulders and and sort of looks relaxed after, you know, he gives him that thing. I thought that was one of the, that was one of the big examples I was talking about when I was saying that I, um, thought he did a great job in that scene. Um, just really quickly, I think, um, jump ahead a little bit to whenever he does go into the office, um, Mm -hmm. the way he kind of puts on the mask and, you kinda I, I really like the way they do that, like when he's alone, like he's in the elevator, he looks like he's he's gonna have a meltdown and then as soon as he gets in front of the group, hey everybody, you know, like uh I'm home. Put, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like he there's it, the the performance seems to to help him keep it together on some level. But uh other than that, I mean the the idea of him being able to only, you know, like that. I think that's pretty pretty humanizing. You know, what I mean, like it, we all kind of have to do that, right? We all have to wear masks. We all have to do different things, uh, you know, to to sort of get through the things that we have to do or whatever. The yeah. the, the stakes are a little bit higher here. You know, um, it makes like when you think about him you know kind of putting on this whole this whole facade you know it makes that idea that he says earlier like oh no not going to go talk to a shrink you know you do that in your, your career, career by, yeah. goodbye you know and it's like you know that that's a that's a pretty real thing for people too you know what i mean and not yeah. just in his profession but in a lot of different things right you know what i mean like the, the getting ahead often means that you have to kind of put the the thing that you're trying to do ahead of yourself right um so it's uh yeah I, I think that this is this is all moving in a really good way for for Hank to just become a more compelling character
2: oh, i agreed completely, and again that that really stark contrast between him um not just in the elevator going up to the offices and then how he's behaving you know uh um with with Gomi and the rest of them. But um, how vulnerable, just to go back to that scene with him and Walt, how vulnerable he is there in front of him. And, of course, he doesn't really have a choice in that. Marie lets Walt in and everything. Um, And at first he's like, oh, he tries to say it's like, you know, an upset stomach. And he's trying to play it off and everything. But he allows himself to be vulnerable as much as he possibly can in front of Walt. And this is someone, I think, who he has... Generally considered to be like weak and, um, mm-hmm. has not really had a lot of respect for and is not someone that he thinks of as, as manly. So I think it's interesting how he's able to, to let Walt in as much as he does, um, to the extent that he does in that, in that episode. Um, and uh, there's, I think what happens between them is, Interesting when, 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 uh, to skip ahead a little bit when they do the, the, um, fake meet between, uh, Jimmy In and Out and Badger and how Walt is trying to distract Hank. How, like, how does Hank not put two and two together at that point? Yeah. So, like, when you, I guess I've, I've been thinking a lot about how is he thinking, how is Hank thinking of Walt at this point in time? Um, cause he's still not making the really obvious connections. Like, at this point, like, it should have been kind of obvious. Like, what mm. are the odds that, his um his own brother-in-law would show up there and of course when uh they're setting it up and badger is describing heisenberg as like a 50 or 70 year old bald dude right (laughs) you know so i love
1: that i love that too he's like he i don't know he's old he's like 50 or 70 you know (laughs) only only 20 years difference there no difference between a 50 year old and 70 year old yeah (laughs) they said it's a felony amount i don't really know i i didn't really look any of that up um that makes a big difference.
2: Mm-hmm. Intent to sell.
1: I feel like in the real world, even though, like, I don't know, though. He has he has priors, though, right? Like, we, he, that's been established. He, when mm-hmm. he said he was doing the, um, the sign. The
2: helicopter yeah, with the, the sign. The, the, when yeah. he was
1: doing that, he was doing that because he was Long on probation. probation. Okay, so, yeah. So, there is yeah. a real potential for him to be going to prison here. Badger does not, you know, he's he doesn't seem like a hardened criminal you know um in the way that some of the other people that we we meet in the series are so i i guess i can kind of see that that whole thing the connection here is that he was caught with the blue meth obviously that brings hank in and going over to talk to them because you know he was he was caught by the the apd i just want to make a i mm-hmm. i really like this character who played the cop um I didn't look up his name. I, I don't know it. He's like one of those character actors that it seems like every time he shows up, it's you know he 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 has a memorable performance. Um, you know, kind mm-hmm. of for just like a side appearance or whatever. I don't think I've ever seen him where he features like you know where he's like a main character in anything. But he's always stood out to me um, as being pretty solid, pretty pretty interesting character. So yeah, so there's real pressure on him here. So they do need they do need Saul. They need someone like Saul. All of that tracks pretty pretty directly. What do you think about the idea of them deciding to kidnap Saul here? Does that seem like a, a little bit of a leap?
2: So, oh, there are quite a few leaps in this episode. <laughs> and so as much as I was as much as be, I love yeah, this trying episode, to
1: be, trying to be yeah. gracious, I guess.
2: No, no, no. As much, as much as I love this episode, and I do really love this episode, it's not without its flaws. So certainly with like what they've established thus far, like there's a, obviously a huge tone shift. Um, and that might just be bringing in the character himself, who as I already kind of described is sort of clown-like. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of comedy in this one. And, uh, Saul is this bigger than life cartoon character. And, uh, and, uh, but. There are a couple of things, right? So the, the idea that they decide to, to kidnap him and force him to take a bribe doesn't seem like it's that much of a stretch, although it is like, it is, it is interesting um, considering uh, where we see that Walt is already headed, like where he wanted Jesse to, to go and take his gun and handle the spooge problem yeah. and everything. But like the biggest leap for me, and I know they played it for laughs and for comedy, but it's when they're actually out in the desert. And Saul is giving them their options. He's like, you know, you could, uh, you know, shank, mm-hmm. you know, badger in the chow line or whatever. And Walt is considering it. And then Jesse's like, no, we're not, no, we're not killing badger. And then Walt does this like thing with his face, like, oh, you know, like he's so disappointed mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's a funny moment, but I'm like, this, this seems like a caricature of what they've been doing. Yeah. I don't know. So that that's like the, there are a couple of other moments where I'm like, this is, this is a... Yeah, (laughs) it it does. It
1: feels a little bit different. I I think that that's, I think that's, I don't think it really needs to be that much more specific. I think it's a combination Mm -hmm. of things, you know? And um, yeah, like maybe that's not, I I think that for me, the first time I watched it, I thought the the whole kidnapping thing seemed crazy. But I mean, it's not inconsistent with the characters necessarily. I mean, they, they do go and steal the methylamine and they, you know, like they, they, in those same masks, you know, what I mean, they tie the guy up in the in the <laughs> Portageon, so they they yeah. have shown that mm-hmm. that they're capable of going into criminal mode, I guess, um, in ways. But yeah, like this is when I was watching it, like I was, you know, on the rewatch here, I, I thought about that. I thought like. There are some, there's some leaps in this one. And and sometimes like, Mm -hmm. just like the fact that Jesse is the one that's doing all the talking whenever they, when they get him out in the, um, in the desert feels a little bit off too. You know what I mean? It feels like Walt wouldn't, wouldn't let him do that. Um,
2: Well, Saul knows Walt's voice. Because remember he went in there as as, uh, a, yeah. So he did, he couldn't really talk since he might be recognized by his voice. But just one other leap we already talked a little bit about it but when they do that fake setup with with hank i thought again that kind of stretches credulity a little bit um where like walt is going to go and distract hank at the exact moment like they're trying to record this thing and you know um
1: take a break wander around in a fugue state we'll be
3: right back Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel, Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast.
0: The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast in 1980
3: Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling he's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night.
0: You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeny finally makes an appearance on Why Is Mr. Feeny a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, the very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why Is Mr. Feeney, a Car each Wednesday on Bald Moose Pulp, starting April 3rd.
1: Tight, tight, tight. We're back with more GDT.
2: But again, like, it makes sense for the episode. I'm I'm willing to, you know, suspend disbelief a little bit because it works and, and the comedy is really good in it. Uh, but and this isn't certainly the only time in the series where you're kind of like, mm, would this really yeah. happen? Could this really happen? Well, I think
1: that that comes back know. to the structure again too a little bit because it's it has to all be wrapped up by the end of the episode. You know that that's what it feels like, yeah. and that that's where it starts to feel a little bit more like a um like an episodic TV show where you you know you know they're gonna have this this they're gonna have this problem present itself and then they'll wrap it up and then next week there'll be another problem or something like that which is not the kind of show that this has been so yeah i think mm-hmm. it, i think that you feel that in this in the way this plays out but because everything else is is operating on such a high level there are a ton of of uh great things that happen in that process you know what i mean and um yeah you know, like we, we touched on it a little bit the conversation that, that Badger has with the cop and how he, you know, his feelings were hurt um, that his new <laughs> buddy was actually, you know, not, not, he was, he was really setting him up to, to go down for a felony. Um, I really like the, the, the way that, that, um, like I said, I know Bob Odenkirk, Kirk, so just him being on screen was, you know, that's something that you, you recognize, he was a recognizable guy, you know what I mean? So, uh, it it was great the way he busted in, he, you know, he, um, takes control of the situation and, uh, you know, you know that he's going to, he's not going to be completely insignificant, that he's going to be, he's going to be around for a while, at least, um, as, as a new character. You know, I, I really liked whenever Hank came in, and he says your 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 commercials they suck ass or whatever.
2: They suck, yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, um, you know when I rewatched that scene when they when uh when Saul is in the hallway right talking to Francesca asking about what happened to his public masturbator, yeah. and he sees Hank and Gum Gomi come in, and he stops to talk to him. And he's like, "What would two feds want with this little you know um whatever he calls him <laughs> this little turd?" And seeing Better Call Saul, we know that this isn't actually the first time that these characters meet. Because uh, if you'll recall, uh, they send – they, the cartel, um, the Salamanca specifically, send uh, Saul in to, uh, to defend yeah. uh, Crazy Eight, right? And that's how he becomes a snitch, which we see in like the the early uh, episodes of season one of, of Breaking Bad, right? So there's already this relationship and there's a, this great scene in – Better Call Saul when uh it's actually the episode they introduce Hank to Better Call Saul. It's his first uh-huh. appearance when he goes in to meet with um with Crazy Eight. And uh, Saul comes in and sets sets that up for him. And they uh make a deal with them. So um I was looking to see like, do you get a sense that there's history between these these characters? And I think it actually works, right? Because like Saul recognizes that they're feds, mm-hmm. right? And he recognizes that perhaps there's some interest in his in his client, so I I think that that was really fortuitous because of course they had no way of knowing that um, these characters would have history when this episode was written. Of course, before they got to, to Better Call Saul, um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. I had a question for you. So we were talking a little bit about um, them going out into the desert, and I was curious what you think their end goal was. Meaning Jesse and and Walt's. Like, what did what do you think they actually intended to happen? So, like, uh, Saul himself says that, you know, he's keeping a happy thought and the open grave is just a negotiating tactic, right? So, tell me what you really want. And then they're just like, you're going to give him the best defense possible ever. Do you think that's all they wanted? They just wanted to force him to to defend him and not, you know, get the DEA involved? Like, what were they actually hoping for? Yeah, you think? I
1: think that they actually were. Um, I think what Walt told him at the office is is where he was at. He Walt wants to get rid of this problem. He mm-hmm. he doesn't want the DEA involved in general. You know, generally speaking, just because um, you know, but also because of Hank, right? So, I think that naively enough, you know, they just wanted to say, look, no matter what, he doesn't talk to the DEA. If you can get him out, great. But I think, you know, Jesse kind of says this in the car when they're when they're outside before they go to meet him. He says, you know, Badger's too loyal. He'll never he'll never he'll never turn. And he's not, you know, and he's afraid of me. So that all of that's working in their favor. So I think that, yeah, they just sort of think like, hey, you know what, if we can just make sure the DEA, he doesn't talk to the DEA. Hopefully this guy can get him off, you know what I mean? But if not, then then he goes to prison and that's too bad, you know what I mean? But but he did get caught. I think that's I think that's probably what they had in mind.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just works out really well that Saul is who Saul is and is able to come up with this whole other great plan. Yeah.
1: The um for them. The whole idea of Jimmy uh, uh not not Jimmy McGill, but Jimmy Kilkelly, is that what it is? Um Mhm it's a it is a solution right i mean it, it that is like exactly what they needed i think that this is not this is something that exists in the world like i think that you probably can find characters like this um who spent a lot of time in prison and don't mind going back uh for the right price it, it, i mean if if you were of that disposition of where you you preferred it inside if you had the 30k on top you know you would be living pretty well in there comparatively speaking the as far as what they're doing um yeah you mentioned it in passing and in the way that that was kind of a a weird reaction but like i think it's important that it's important to note that that walt was thinking about killing badger like that that was something that that made a lot of sense to him logically or or strategically um when you think about the two characters, Walt has killed someone already, uh, Jesse hasn't, but mm-hmm. you know, he did his best to to kill Tuco, even though he didn't, you know, do that or whatever. But um, you know, so we see there that the way that they're reacting to that differently, you know, like uh Jesse ha is Badger's his friend, right? And his there is some yeah. loyalty among them, whereas Walt is he, he has none, right? He's just he's all business as far as that's concerned
2: yeah he calls him beaver later i mean that's how <laughs> how much badger he means to, Walt, purpose, how much though, he him. To,
1: to let let him
2: <laughs> i laugh every time you're <laughs> from beaver or whatever <laughs> oh it's so good it's so good but I don't actually – the reason I was asking because I didn't get the impression that Waltz that was something that was on his radar before Saul suggested it. It's like Saul presents the idea and he's like, wait a minute. You know, that's a pretty good idea. And I would I agree. Just, yeah. oh, there's so many good lines. So many good lines in this one. Uh, one of my favorite lines, it's not my top pick, but one of my favorites is uh, when Saul says to them, you know, mosquitoes yeah. buzzing around. You don't go after the mosquito's attorney. You grab a fly swatter, guys. And uh, yeah. it, it seems to me like that that that's where – Saul really, I think, uh, sells some of his value to Walt, and he does it again later when he goes and sees him in the classroom, and he's really trying to persuade him. Like, this is why you need yeah. me. This is why you need representation. But the 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 um the the resources that he has, and also like his ability to think the way he thinks, uh-huh. right? Um, is is something that's incredibly valuable to to Walt's, since they are so naive and they are so bad yeah. at this. Um. And so having someone like him, like him in their corner is it's a it's a match made in in meth yeah, cause heaven. Yeah, because it's
1: funny because because of of all of the interest on it wasn't me or you know it was it was Ignacio it wasn't me or it, you know like the the whole it was Lalo or you're not Lalo didn't send you yeah that's what it was right like no Lalo you, you know, Lalo didn't send you like. All of that was always such a big part of what was going on in BCS and like what we thought about that you kind of miss out on the on what's really important about these about the scene, and it's exactly what you were just saying, it's that that it's a stupid idea. Like it's not well thought out at all. Like threatened to kill the lawyer of the guy. You know what I mean? Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: Saul points it out and it, they can't help but recognize that he's correct there, right? <laughs> like it's a stupid idea. Like yeah. you're threatening this guy who has nothing to do with it in a way, right? And um mm-hmm. you have the person that you could take out right there, you know what I mean? Like if, if you really wanted to mm-hmm. stop him from talking, like if you if you kill Saul, he can still talk. If you kill Badger, he, he can't talk anymore, right? And um and I agree mm-hmm. with what you said too. I don't think Walt had that in mind before, but whenever he was presented with that idea, he realized that, yeah, that makes a lot more sense, right? And he looked at it more as a uh, you know, just a, a cold calculation of like that would be better for for this for this organization that we put together. Um so yeah, like I said, by the end of the episode you realize that he, you know he's he's a funny guy and he and he's kind of a clown, but he he actually does know quite a bit more about what what these guys are doing than they do
2: yeah yeah definitely and um what since we're talking about this scene in the in the desert um, I did want to talk a little bit about like how that that scene is expanded specifically in the Better Call Saul episode mm-hmm. six eleven. So we get to see um, that episode begins with him being kidnapped, right? So that they're cold open to that one is with, he, with from Saul's point of view, he's got the burlap sack over his head, rolling around in the back of the RV on the way to the desert, and then they return to that scene, the exact same scene. They even repeat the same dialogue where they have him kneeling in front of the hole in the ground. Um, you know, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was Ignacio, no Lalo, Lalo didn't send you. And then um though, but we get to see them go back into the RV, leaving. And uh Saul is looking around the RV, he's picking up like the boiling mm-hmm. flask and stuff like that, and he's figuring out exactly what they're about. And um he's able to to see the potential there, the opportunity to make a lot of money with these two. So Obviously, he knows a little something about Heisenberg, not just from Badger, but maybe also from, like, other clients, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, even in, in this episode, right, he mentions Spooge and Spooge being a former yeah. client of his, right? Uh, when he, he makes the comment that people like to take fun, uh, take credit for all the mm-hmm. fun ones, right? So, Walt already has something of a reputation um, out on the streets at this point, right? Um, in this Breaking Bad timeline, anyway, and and Saul's, I guess, seeing the dollar signs there. So I, I really like how they added a lot of context to, like, why Saul would agree to do this, right? So it's, it's, um, it's beyond just like seeing opportunity for for money. He like he he sees Walt as multiple play, yeah, right? He like he sees the competence
1: and realizes that that thing yeah. that we're just talking about that he could actually mm-hmm. turn that into something. That they, they could use that to his mm-hmm. advantage. Where Mike is like, stay away from this guy. He's a complete amateur. Jimmy sees a totally different opportunity there.
2: Yeah, and Mike says the same thing to Gus as well, right? Like, he tries yeah. he tries to warn everyone, stay away. Yeah,
1: Mike, he he, he got it right when it came to Walter and um, makes it all the more tragic that, that Walter's the one that ends him, huh?
2: Mm-hmm. Especially when he didn't have mm-hmm. to. Yeah,
1: it's completely really necessary. Completely pointless. Just just because he hurt his yeah. feelings.
2: And <laughs> yeah, and and just one other point, I guess about about the Better Call Saul uh, Breaking Bad episode. I love how they ended that one, right? So like, because uh, if you haven't seen it, like we get to see where Saul ends up in the future as mm-hmm. Gene, and um, this is his Breaking Bad moment, Gene in the future. Um, and they, they the way they splice that together for, of him at the very end of that episode walking into the the yeah. classroom, right? So like we see Saul actually, and then we see it in this episode of, of Breaking Bad when he at the end goes to see uh, see Walt in the classroom. But we get to also see it from um, the the better call Saul perspective of him walking up to the yeah. classroom, walking up mm-hmm. to the building anyway. And then they, they put that together with him going back into this, this Mark's house that he's going to break into as Jean. And like like, you know, crossing thresholds, crossing barriers, um, opening doors that really shouldn't be open, yeah. you know, um, one bad decision after another.
1: I think whenever, you know, when I watched that episode of Better Call Self for the first time... It was one of those ones where it took some time to process, you know, like what are they trying to what are they really trying to emphasize here? And we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording about it's pretty clear what they're showing in that episode when you go back and watch it now having knowing how that series ended. At the time it wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. all that clear at all, you know, like we didn't really know what's going on because we this really the first time we're spending time like a, a lot of time with Gene, right? Um and we get to see, you know, like how, how that, how, you know, how, how quickly things go from bad to worse in, in that situation. And like, um, the way, you know, the, the stuff that they tied back into this episode and to 208 of Breaking Bad, you know, it's, it's very, it's very particular. And they, they, they wanted to, you could see that they wanted to kind of fill in some blanks. Right.
2: And, um, mhm yeah. And it's beyond just having like Brian and Aaron yeah. do cameos on Better Call Saul. Cause it was like, you know, the last couple of episodes before the series ended. Um, I think it really does add a lot. And my favorite shot in that episode of that, that Better Call Saul episode is, um, a shot that we see in this one, but they added to it, of course. And that's when, uh, they're out in the desert, you see the, the grave dug and the way they transition between scenes in the Better Call Saul episode is they, Film the camera looks down into the grave out in the desert, and then that fades into uh, Gene lying in bed. Right, so it looks like he's lying in this grave, and I think that the context there, the the subtext that we're being told is that uh, this was the moment that he doomed yeah. himself. Right, like he, you know, is is lying in in his grave, sort of thing. So it was this relationship with Walt that he enters into that, um, you know, really seals his fate. Yeah. Although with Better call Saul. There's a lot of stuff that happens before he ever even meets. Yeah,
1: yeah I I, I I really yeah, it, this watching these two together definitely uh expanded both of them for me, like my understanding of of the character of Walter White and the character of Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman. And uh that's a pretty neat trick that you you know, to be able to do that. Um and I'm glad that they took that opportunity, you know, like I think you you brought it up a little bit earlier the way that they introduced um Tuco. They got a lot of for that. I mean they got a lot of people were complaining like, "Oh, this is, you know, it, it feels like it's a cheap way to um, you know, connect the series or whatever to bring keep bringing back characters for cameos." And I think they kind of pulled back from a, a little bit from there um in the in the early seasons of Breaking Bad. But I mean, better call Saul, but they, you know, they were definitely always planning on getting to the point where we, we see um walter white and and jesse pinkman show up i mean that that they may have played coy about it but i think that they were always every season when they sat down to to you know chart it out or whatever you know and break the episodes they probably mm-hmm. thought can we can we fit a walt and a, and a jesse in here somewhere like where are we at on the timeline maybe a flash forward you know Uh, they're just, the two characters influence each other so much that you can't, you can't really have a show about one without the other, at least a little bit.
2: Yeah. I'm really glad that they held back though until the very end, because I I feel like, you know, there were, there was a, maybe perhaps a, a, a part of the viewership that was tuning in just out of curiosity. Like, well, I like Breaking Bad. Let's see what this is about and they were expecting very much the same thing like a continuation of that story same style same characters and stuff like that and um it being a spin off like of course you you expect that to to some some degree um but i i think the most interesting parts of that series actually have nothing to do with with really walter or, or any of these other like characters apart yeah. from i mean there is obviously characters that overlap so mike is a main character on better call saul and he's an important part of that show uh and uh, of course Gus then becomes a very important part of that show too but those are not cameos those are supporting cast right and I, i'm glad that they didn't mm-hmm. do too much fan service for for want of a, a yeah. better word and um i think the the for me personally the the most interesting parts of Saul are the new characters we get to meet that relationship with his brother that relationship with Kim
1: yeah absolutely yeah i think they did that in the most taste you know, tasteful the way they could, was they, they, they made it matter, they, you know, like, they made that, those decisions that he made in relation to what's happening here, uh, they, you know, they they gave them some substance, they, they, they made it, you know, fleshed it out a little bit more, like, what he was thinking about, and, um, it all makes sense for everything else that happened in Jimmy McGill's life to get him to that point, and that's where, it, you know, that's where it feels satisfying, it's not that because Walt is there or, you know, Jesse's there, or, you know, that show shows up or whatever that, that just happens to be that, you know, that just happens to line up or whatever, you know, so it feels natural. Mm-hmm. As far as being out in the desert, I think we, we covered everything. I mean, they, do we need to, to point out the idea that like, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things here that They came back Mm -hmm. to whenever they were constructing the story of Better Call Saul. Right, yeah. So foreshadows
2: quite a few characters. Of course, we already mentioned it, but Ignacio Nacho, and then Lalo. Um, which uh, this is probably something most people know. Like, if you are into Better Call Saul and you know follow what the creators have said, but it was something that uh, Vince Gilligan was actually quite against them doing. He's like, we don't need to write about all Lalo. Who cares? Whatever. It was just like a Mm one-off line. But um, you know they were like Peter Gould was like, no, we have to bring them. What a, I'm glad Peter won that argument. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and um, but they, they, speaking of Peter and Vince, something I didn't know but learned from listening to the Insider podcast was how they came up with the name. It was actually Vince's idea to call him Saul Good, like it's all good. And then yeah. someone else in the writers' room was like, why don't we call him Good Men though? So I thought that was pretty, yeah. pretty interesting. Because I know this is uh, Peter Gould's creation. This was a character he conceived of, I believe, right? Like he actually came up with the idea of Saul.
1: Yeah, and he he wrote yeah. this episode too, mm-hmm. like, uh, which is nice. The whole idea of turning him into Goodman, uh, the they kind of they kind of have a line to that effect here. You know, the two thing I just do for the yeah. homeboys. Uh, the
2: real name's McGill. They say uh,
1: <laughs> they. They they want a pipe hitting member of the tribe, so to speak, which is, is a pretty Saul Goodman line.
2: Oh, we've already talked a lot about a few of them, right? So there's also Spooge, right? That's something we see again in yes. Saul. Um his uh relationship with Francesca is something that really gets expanded and explored in in um in Saul. And one of the things that always bothered me watching Better Call Saul. And I, I think this is something that they did address, though. It was just like trying to reconcile, like, how could Jimmy McGill, like, our Jimmy, be the same guy that, like, whistles after Francesca and, yeah. and tells her that she's killing him with that booty? I was like, ugh. Like, how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? But then rewatching watching um, 611 of Better Call Saul, you see that when Kim comes in to sign the divorce papers um, as she's leaving, he refers to Francesca as sweet cheeks, right? And it's like this, like, uh, that's just all part of the act of the, I don't give a shit about anything. You can't hurt me, Kim. I'm Teflon uh-huh. sort of sort of attitude that he, posture that he takes, right? So, um, poor, Francesca, <laughs> poor Francesca.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, one of the things about watching 611, too, yeah, they really, they really, uh, it's a really good ending for Francesca. The way that they put that together. Yeah. I love how she he's still talking and she just hangs <laughs> up the phone. <laughs> it's a great one. Um, yeah, I hope with that. great way to, I hope with to exit.
2: Sorry, I was going to say, I hope with that money she got in the envelope that she's finally able to go on her vacation to one of the various places that she's always looking at in her magazines. You know, Instead of um, plunging yeah. um, seeds and stems out of some potheads, you know, sink.
1: <laughs> one thing I... One thing I wanted to ask you, one thing that popped out whenever I, I was watching this this time, whenever Walt goes in to talk to to Saul, he says what are you telling him, you know, because he says no, what about the reprisal? You know, he tells him that he's afraid that the that this Heisenberg is going to come after them, right? If they if he if he talks to the DEA. And he says Saul makes it clear that at that moment Badger is not Cooperating, like he he won't talk to the cops. Like he's he's basically saying I can talk him into it, but right now he 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 won't do it, right? Mm -hmm. And so then he offers him the bribe, and then he goes out to the car and tells Jesse, you know, well, no, he won't he won't take it. But then Jesse says Badger is going to spill as a question, right? He asks him, is he going and and he says like Baudis or whatever he says, right? Uh, Like the Baudis. Do you think that that is a actual? Is he misleading him there?
2: Is Saul misleading?
1: No, no, Walt or Is, is Walt, lying is Walt to Jesse? trying to mislead Jesse? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. I don't.
1: Yeah, because I mean, the truth of the matter is that he's going to try to talk him into it, but there's still a chance that that what Jesse said earlier was true that that he's too loyal. It's not going to happen. That but- that.
2: Okay, well, let's pause there for a second. Why is he loyal? Is, I mean, obviously, he's Jesse's friend and everything. But he's scared of Jesse right now. He thinks that Jesse actually killed Spooge. But of course, Saul yeah. has knowledge that he didn't. And um, mm, Saul, I think, would be trying to convince Badger, like, this is in your best interest. You want to take this deal. You know, obviously, um, that's in Saul's best interest. He wants to win this case and uh, um, do right by his, his client. Um, yeah,
1: I didn't think about that. I didn't think about the fact that he would tell him the exact same thing he told Walt. He, he's going to say like, you don't understand this guy is dangerous. You know, he he killed, he killed Spooge and he's going to say, no, he did not. You know, his wife did. And I, you know, I know that for a fact. So that, that does have some, that does play a part, I guess, in, in his ability to flip him. But yeah, I just, I never really picked up on that before. I thought, the line stands out like the he's going to spill like the baldis. i mean obviously that's a memorable line uh that that they that they say but i i i just was just wondering like i wonder if he comes out thinking okay well i now i've i've offered the bribe so now i have to because i'm i'm trying to make the whole go let's go kidnap this guy and and everything else like make sense right so Walt. i guess they don't really show it but i guess if we we put it together there it does kind of it does kind of add up huh like that he, yeah. he might just be like i really need to i really need to find a solution to this like this mm-hmm. guy is not only not he didn't just turn me down but this guy himself is sort of a loose end In that we can you know we can get to him we can't get to badger that easily while he's locked up or whatever
2: yeah and i think in, in the the broader context of the story of of breaking bad Right. Um, loyalty comes at a price. So we certainly see that with like uh, Gus's 11 guys in prison. Like they're willing to stay quiet as long as, you know, their um, payments are mm-hmm. being made to their families that the that lawyer is facilitating Daniel, whatever his name was. Um, but uh, with with the badger, I think he's he would have been persuaded to absolutely flip um, if he wasn't really in, in in fear of his life or reprisal. That that Jesse would kill him that's or hurt true. him or
1: something. Yeah, I mean he seems. I mean Badger seems like a pretty harmless guy and everything else. But you're you're probably right. Like get put up against like a a five year stay in the penitentiary yeah. or something like that. Um,
2: I mean they're friends and everything, but Jesse also did abandon him in the desert, right?
1: That's true. So
2: I mean they're the
1: crossbow, the the crossbow incident.
2: <laughs> Javelinas. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think i I like the, that they give him a little bit more to do here. Badger always is kind of uh the biggest ass in the room whenever they they're all together and kind of the silliest character so uh it, it translated well to all the stuff that he gets to do in this episode
2: and it would make sense that he would be the one that got busted, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I guess so I mean it it kind of, when you think about the big picture it kind of like they're kind of they all like skinny Pete gets stuck up. Badger gets busted, and then Combo gets the worst out of all of them, you know? Yeah. All of it, of course, is related to these ideas that that Walt had that they needed to expand exponentially. Um, that's what I thought about whenever the money counting, you know, they had that scene with the money counting machine, and he says something to the effect of, like, we need to have this thing running 24 hours, you know, we're going to feed this machine or whatever, we need to have this running 24-7. It's like, you, you had it just a couple of weeks ago you had it the perfect amount you know what i mean the money was coming in at a steady pace not too much heat not too much problems you know what i mean mm-hmm. and 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 as that as that machine's counting as it's going you know what i mean like the problems are just getting bigger and and coming more frequently now
2: yeah yeah and since you're you're talking about the money counter um just another point cuz like uh watching it again and watching it closely they do keep track of the money coming in and coming out. If you're paying attention, right? So, uh, we I have this in my notes here that it was um almost ninety thousand dollars that they made. What that they're divvying yeah. up, and then later we know that it's going to cost them eighty thousand, right for <laughs> for Saul's Almost cut. back
1: to zero. Yeah, yeah. So they
2: have they have ten k for for their trouble. Um. So I, I yeah I just I thought that was an interesting little detail and how conscience uh becomes expensive. And uh, perhaps yeah, too that's what expensive he says. for Wold.
1: That's what he says, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back.
0: We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon
3: Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood.
0: Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome,
3: Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into season two. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House
0: of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then.
3: Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info.
2: Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation.
1: So, was there anything else in the main – I mean, one, one thing about the – you know, the other thing about the character, like we were talking about, just to, to loop back for one second, talking about how they – there was a lot of stuff that they, they picked up on later, like Lalo and Nacho and, um, you know, the Bluetooth we talked about in previous episodes, you know, how whenever he first comes on we kind of associate him with the same kind of guy that ken wins is in a way you mm-hmm. know what i mean the kind of loud and uh he could, his words are definitely like his 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 secret weapon kind of thing um he mentions ice ice station zebra associates here which will take on a lot of meaning later on but just from the get-go you know you think well that really sounds kind of specific. So, if you if you didn't know what the movie was, you know, if you go and look it up, you'll find out that that's a movie. So, you think, okay, this guy likes likes movies, right? He's a movie guy.
2: And that was actually uh, Kim's dad's favorite movie. Yeah. Zebra.
1: And then, of course, the TV commercials, which we'll see how he, you know, how he has a passion for his, for <laughs> shooting those later yeah. on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all the commercials he makes not just for his uh, law practice but um when he's when he first conceives of the persona of Saul Goodman as the guy who sells TV commercials so good yeah yeah something that did pop out to me um that I have in my notes here cuz I think this is something that I thought a lot about when I watched the Better Call Saul episode and I feel like this uh, this one line that Walt says informs a lot of how like I understood that particular episode they're sitting, Jesse and Walter sitting in the car. They're watching this deal go down between Badger and um, Jimmy in and out, and mm. and Jesse says something like, "You think this guy's for real? A guy that like wants to go to prison?" And Walt says, "There's more than one kind of prison," and that's mm. a line that always jumped out to me. And Jesse's like, "What? Like, what does that mean?" But the idea that for Kill Kelly, the real world is is more horrible to him than being in a you know. Uh, institutionalized that's where he's more comfortable sort of thing and um but i I think it's a curious line from from Walt, and like maybe how he thinks of like his own oppression or the forces that are are acting upon him but then how that informs the better call Saul episode just to shift gears a little bit here and Mm -hmm. um why gene decides to break bad right like living as gene this like really boring humdrum life as like you know a, a manager of a omaha uh, Cinnabon, you know, like that's, yeah. that's more of a prison to him um, than actual prison. And that turns out to actually be true as if you continue watching that series. So uh-huh. I don't know, I just thought that was a, a, as an interesting line into maybe giving us some insight into how Walt is, how Walt is thinking about himself and uh, the idea of, of freedom and being trapped or imprisoned.
1: Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what he was saying to Hank earlier, right?
2: Yeah, fear. Mm-hmm. Fear. That is idea the, of fear as the ultimate prisoner, and he's uh broken free of those shackles, maybe.
1: <laughs> Don't worry; though. things will go wrong, in, in and <laughs> soon everything will 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 eventually fall apart. So that any kind of freedom that he seems to be experiencing will be short lived. Anytime he gets a stack of cash and everything starts to look like he his his financial troubles are over,
2: something else another, happens. Yeah,
1: another expenditure will will pop up. Exactly. Want to get into favorite lines and shots?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything.
1: For my favorite line, I went with one of the first ones that that. Saul says and it's when he he comes in and he's talking to the the cop and he says go grab a juice box have <laughs> a nap go on and I thought that was that's a great first couple of lines kind of thing for a character to say isn't it
2: It is it is so many great lines from from Saul and uh I had a hard time choosing uh this one but I thought I was going to have to go with the Saul line just because it's Saul but I didn't I didn't go with Saul I went with Jesse I went with Jesse um talking to Walter and the line is you don't want a criminal lawyer. You want a criminal lawyer. So
1: Yeah. I, I'm glad you did because, you know, that that's so it's so often repeated and it's just mm-hmm. such a it's just such a big part of this universe that it's almost like you, you forget about it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like uh but it is. It's, it's that's one of the best. I mean Talk about introducing a brand new character who will go on to, to, you know, to be a big multi-season backstory series about, you know, yeah. what I mean. Like, uh, what a great way to to introduce him!
2: Yeah, great line, and it's it's one of the most quotable lines I think from from the the series, and it's been getting a lot of uh uh play um in uh currently um in um what is today's date? Today is the tenth. Tenth of uh, June, 2023. It's something that they've been playing in the news quite a bit for unrelated yeah. reasons. But <laughs> again, it's just like a one of those those great lines. And as you said, Pete, before we even meet him, right? Like that's how we're introduced to him, this criminal defense attorney who himself is is a criminal. So uh, I guys I just like love how Houdini, it sets up. yeah, <laughs>
1: which I don't even really know. <laughs> that's not the best way to. Houdini gets out of stuff, not other people right like houdini what the the famous magician houdini was not um not known for getting other people out of jams he got himself he was an escape artist right
2: i think so yeah i mean i'm not i'm not so a it wasn't like a, yeah
1: it's one of those funny I, I just thought that was like one of those funny jesse things where mm-hmm. he's like he's close to like what he's saying but it, it's not exactly the best uh the best example
2: but the idea of being able to work magic the guy's a magician right and yeah that's that's true that's that's something that that saul says in the better call saul episode of um breaking bad where he says you know i'm going to work my magic here so this idea that he's a magician of of some sorts that's able to uh make things happen and he does right he is kind of the Magic Man, isn't he? It's the name of an episode in Better Call Saul. Yeah, I had a couple of runner-ups for this though, because like so, so so many great lines. So I love, <laughs> I love the one when uh, when Badger asks, him, you are going to get me off?" Right, and he says, "What do I look like? Your high school girlfriend? Five fingers, no waiting." <laughs> or when he meets uh, Walt and uh, he asks if May- he was British or Irish, and Walt says Irish, and he goes, "Ah, fellow potato a potato eater." Oh, that's so great. <laughs> so many great lines. <laughs> So good. What about, um,
1: with, with a character, with a character like that, you know, there's always a, um, they always have to strike a balance. And it's one of the things that, because like, you know, like people don't really talk like that. I mean, they almost do, you know what I mean? But like, you have to be careful, I think, where if he, if he says something, if he always has the perfect quip, if he always Mm -hmm. has the, you know, the, the, the funniest line, then he starts to feel like a character, uh, character, I can't say the word. Caricature, Yeah. Yeah, caricature. but he kind of is, right?
2: <laughs> and I think that's something that Better Call Saul as a series explains to us that this well, is. just a what I was going say. Yeah, you know, like that.
1: Yeah, like that. That it is. It's an act, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but we don't know that when we first meet him way back then, right? And yeah. um, and I think that that's a reason why that that you know when you think about the the original idea was to maybe do a thirty minute comedy with um, with Better Call Saul for that series. I think that that was probably a really good choice for them not to do that because mm-hmm. they're not comedy writers. They're they write drama, right? You know what I mean. Like they're really good at at spicing it up with some laughs here and there, but it's a it's a whole different beast when you think about it. So. Yeah,
2: I would ca- I would call both series dramedies. Right? There's a lot of a lot of dark humor in both um yeah
1: but i think there's a yeah. big difference between anything that 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 is is set up as a i mean comedies are, yeah. are joke delivery devices mm-hmm. you know what i mean they're supposed to make you laugh they're not everything else is you know like when you say dramedy it's not like 50-50 you know what i mean it's a it's a it's a it's a drama that has a lot of funny um you know has a lot of comedy in it mm-hmm. but you know it's a two different beast, i think yeah, I mean, as far as
2: but but we do get we do get the idea just to to go back to what you said um, about like this idea of of Saul as a caricature. Uh, we do get to see a little bit behind the mask, right? When he tells Walt that you know Saul Goodman isn't his real name; it's just something mm-hmm. that he does for for the homeboys, the whole Jew thing. So you get the idea that this is not who this guy really. is really is um it is all an act it is a performance so Mm -hmm. yeah i I love how they explore all that in in saul though and um add so much depth to to that character uh was it is it hard for you to think of him as as saul goodman do you think of him as jimmy mcgill as you're watching this or do you think of him as saul
1: no that's one of the things that i was going to bring up earlier and i forgot so i'm glad you you hit on it but when we when we watched this in sequence, you know, we watched uh, Breaking Bad, it, you know, up by itself. I think I went right back into Saul. Like for at the end of Better Call Saul, I thought of him as Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Like I almost never referred to him as Saul anymore or anything else. But when I watched this, and when I was preparing my notes for this and stuff, it was all Saul. You know, like I I, I went right back into the mode that I was before. So that that's interesting. It's not like I forgot, you know. Obviously, yeah. I, I still am fascinated with the character of Jimmy McGill and everything that he goes through to get to this point. But just because of the way that the show, you know, watching the show in order, um, he, you know, we're we're talking about Walt and Jesse. We're not talking about Jimmy McGill. You know what I mean? And yeah. And in, in, in that, from their perspective, he's Saul,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
1: And so it kind of feels that way too. Uh, I think as it goes on, though, we'll start to like I said, it it does feel definitely more like you brought up in the beginning. It definitely feels sadder, you know, the whole situation. It's not nearly as funny as it was maybe the first time around, you know?
2: Yeah. I mentioned earlier, like, it is is easier for me to separate the two. And I think a lot of that is because Better Call Saul is about Jimmy McGill. And we don't really get to mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with this character of Saul. Like, we get to see how he ends up there. We have a couple of scenes with him. Um, but the the vast majority of it is Jimmy McGill. And really we get more time with Gene than we do with Saul, uh, yeah. in in that series. But um it is I still think of him as as Jimmy. So I mean this I, I think of him as two different characters, but I do mm-hmm. like when they when they were talking about Jimmy um Kilkelly, I was like when Walt and Jesse are like, Where's Jimmy? Yeah. I was i for a second I was thinking of of Saul. I'm like, no, 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 that's not who they're talking about. And it was a weird moment, right? Because I was like, wait, no. Um, I knew that they were talking about Jimmy In and Out, James Kil Kelly, but for a split second, I was like Saul. I don't remember that, but you know, just one of, one of those things. And yeah, I guess I I think of like um that scene at the end of Fun and Games six oh nine. Better call Saul. Uh, where is it? Fun and yeah, it is Fun and it's yeah. definitely Fun and Games when they're at Howard's uh memorial service at at um H H M and they're talking to Rich Schweikart and. As he's saying goodbye to them, as Rich is saying goodbye to Jimmy and Kim, he goes and calls Jimmy. Jimmy, he's like, "Sorry, Saul." That's kind of like how I, <laughs> how I feel. It's mm-hmm. like Jimmy, no Saul. So it is, it yeah. is interesting because I'm so saturated with Saul. I think still. So I imagine as we go further into this in this rewatch, like I won't be thinking of him as much as as Jimmy as I am right now. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I remember that at the end, you know, people were being like, "Oh, you know, now that I saw him do this, he's he's back to Saul and it, he just never really went back to Saul for me until until I watched this episode uh the other day." And then I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. This is Saul Goodman. This mm-hmm. is, you know, we don't know all the rest about him yet, but we will."
2: So, yeah, I was going to ask what favorite uh favorite shot, favorite scene for you?
1: I really like the 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 bench, you know, the oneer and the teaser that we were talking about, and um, we didn't bring it up a lot, but I did listen to the Insider podcast, uh, and they talked about how they they shot this all as a one take scene, you know, like there's no interruptions, but they had to shorten it, with, and they had to, they, it's pretty interesting. I went back and watched it after I listened to it, and you can kind of see where they did that. Because, like, they'll do it like where the, like, a car or a person walks in front of them Mm -hmm. in front of the camera. So that sort of, it sort of blocks out what they're doing. So, like, whenever the person clears the shot, then they can, they could just skip ahead to a different part of it if they wanted to, if they do it just right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Obviously, Badger and, and, and the cop are moving around a lot. So they, they have to be pretty selective in how they did it. But since this is the Saul episode, you know, it's all about Saul, um, I have to, I decided to go with the shot of him, he's, when he's leaving the office and Walt says, $10,000 um it's not like the flashiest thing, but there's a lot going on and you gotta kind of put yourself in the ma- the idea that we don't really know this guy yet, you know what I mean? So the timing of the way that he, he turns, like we're not really sure what's happening with him, right? The door opens up, you hear that obnoxious music that plays in his, um, in his lobby there, the <laughs> yeah. way that that is. And the door, the, the door like is timed perfectly so that it opens and you, you just see Walt as he's saying $10,000. So the setup of it, all of it is really great. And then, you know, Bob Odenkirk's face whenever he hears that. You know ten thousand dollars, like we don't know the character that much yet, but we can see pretty and we we we've got the idea that he does like money, you know what I mean, like this isn't thing that motivates him, and that mm-hmm. that that ten thousand really uh you know perked his ears up or whatever, and he closed it, so yeah, I thought that was really a nice little sequence the way they set set all of that up that music in the lobby really <laughs> kind of puts it over the top, and we didn't even really talk about it, but his office, like the way that they 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 designed his office with that, um, the whole thing. Like, you know, you kind of take it for granted all this time later. Mm-hmm. But that was like, that, that, in the, when you first saw it, you were like, holy shit, this guy's yeah. got fake columns and the, the giant constitution behind him and everything else. You know what I mean? Like, what an introduction to that office that was.
2: And then, of course, the blow up, um, Statue of Liberty on, on yeah, his Yeah.
1: Like, all of that. Yeah. Like, I think, I think we didn't really mention it much kinda of because it just became so normal over all the all the seasons. But
2: Yeah. And of course all those of are, that was- those are things that are explained in, in Better Call Saul, where he gets at least the idea for it from. So certainly like the um the decor he's he steals from the kettlements and their little mm-hmm. um tax uh thing that they're doing. They have the same blow up. They have they're playing similar music in their their mm-hmm. waiting room and they have like the American flag on their walls, you know. So again, yeah. like this appeal to like people's values and beliefs, which we talked a little bit at the at the top of this, right? So this idea of the constitution and selling this this ideal, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, some so what great...
1: about you? What was what was your favorite shot?
2: Uh so I had to go with the in the desert. Um there's a lot of interesting things that happen there, but there's we get two separate overhead shots of the R V. And I went with yeah. the the second one. I really like the way the the lighting is. Um, mm-hmm. They have the saturation uh, way up on the the colors, so that the headlights are casting like a really kind of eerie green glow over yep. them. And you can see the three figures. This is after he's already been lit up. He's not on his knees, but you can still see the grave right in front of him. And then you get this like reddish pink color in the background, and you have like the last remnants of of uh, daylight. Right, so it's it's a uh, it's the sky is this really beautiful blue color, but I was thinking of like the the green, um, you know, is is uh, associated with money in this world, right? A potential for growth, and uh, I, I just love that that shot and the colors more than anything in that one.
1: Yeah, one that, scene. I've cut that I've cut that clip so many times. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, like all those all those videos of. What is the Lalo, no Lalo? Why does yeah. he bring up Lalo like he should know and all this, you know, all those, those different videos talking about stuff. But like, I'll always go back to that cut of the overhead shot. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic looking, uh, thing that just elicits that whole situation. You know what I mean? Like in, you know, th- there's so much in that one image. It's, it's a great one.
2: Yeah. Was there anything else that, that stood out to you watching, um, the Better Call Saul episode after this?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the the whole idea of of him going to you know, talking to Mike, uh I, I love that they had Mike wear the glasses, yeah. um, the <laughs> sunglasses in that scene because we're gonna we haven't seen mike's um introduction to, to Breaking Bad yet, but that's one of my favorite parts is how they're like, oh yeah, put him put some glasses on him. He's cool. You know what I mean? He's a <laughs> he's a fixer. Make him look like a fixer. He he wear dark glasses or something. <laughs> and then he just never does that again throughout the, the rest of the the series, except for, for here, whenever they make that like specific visual callback to it. Um The Yeah, I mean I just thought but as far as that, like the gene timeline stuff, it was just sad, you know what yeah. I mean? It was just like Okay, I know why he's doing this now. I know how all of what he what he's going to go through in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, both series, is leading up to that point. Um, And I like the parallel, the you know, I like the parallel there of like, okay, well, this is him. This is his first. You know, he's still reeling over Kim leaving, and now this is his first like you know big mistake, which is to like, yeah, I know everybody's saying I should stay away from this guy, but. I think I could probably make this work to my advantage, and then we see yeah. how that plays out.
2: And of course, know? we have the benefit of knowing that you know maybe he's not like rolling in money, but there was a pretty good payout that he received from the Sandpiper settlement. So it's not that he necessarily even needs the money from from no. Walt. So it's he's attracted to something something more than that. And then of course in in um in Better Call Saul, like we we see that. What really perhaps motivates him to to work with uh with Walt is um wanting to be a part of something something big, like a a way to to yeah. to do schemes and cons and things like that more than, than the money. Of course the money is important though.
1: Yeah, I listened to the insider podcast on that one too. Oh, did you? Tom Schnauz was saying, you know, about about Walt and and about Jimmy you know like the way that they they go to their things and like Jimmy that's his drug of choice right it's the it's the scam yeah and the progression I guess is that it's got to be it's got to be bigger it's got to be you know like once you once you're doing the same one over and over again it loses the the charm right so you, you want to go up to the next level and I think, yeah, like you said, I think Saul Goodman's doing pretty good where he's at right there, you know? Like, even though we don't know, you know, we're watching Breaking Bad for the first time, you could tell that he's busy, you know? He's got his his, his lobbies packed. He's thrown around numbers like $4,600 and $80,000, and they don't seem – they seem normal. It seems like the kind of thing that he does on a regular basis for, for you know, being a criminal lawyer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um you know the whole thing is just like uh yeah, it's just like there's a big there, him and him and Heisenberg got a lot in common, right?
2: Yeah, they do. Definitely. And that's something I think that's uh but there are there are some important differences uh between them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I I think that's something in the finale of of Saul where they have like the three flashbacks that he has to uh-huh. to Jimmy um uh, not Jimmy to, to Walt, to his brother Charles and to um to Mike and thinking about regrets and how he's capable of learning, right? And um changing and growing. Uh and that's something Walt could could never do. But I guess that's like a, a whole other a whole other question. Maybe like a whole other conversation to have is is who is this guy really who really is Jimmy McHill, Saul Goodman. Um has he always been this way as as uh, Walt accuses him of in the finale of uh, Better Call Saul, he says, "So you've always been like this." Um, when when Jimmy tells the story of how yeah. he got the name slipping Jimmy and uh, you know hurt his knee, I love how they also do they go back and explain the the bad knees um, that we first uh-huh. hear in this in this episode when he talks about having bad knees and he has to get up and that's something they they tell us uh, he uh, he injured himself when he was like nineteen, I think. Was the age mm-hmm. when he did his first um major slip and fall or whatever?
1: Yeah. I, I wish that we could get more into that. Like the I mean, I think that we probably will when we get uh way at the end of Breaking Bad, right? When we get to the to where that would fit into the timeline of this, you know, like whenever they have that conversation in the um
3: vacuum in the store. Disappears. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Basement there. Um because I think one of the things that's fun about going back through this series is to to see where we land on all those questions at the end after watching it again um with all that stuff in mind and and yeah that does i think that scene that you just mentioned it does emphasize a big difference in the two characters but that is probably a conversation for a different time
2: yeah definitely
1: if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to follow our podcast and you know Hit that bell so that you get some notifications for it when the next episode comes out. We'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find out about us. And if you want to support us, you can join our other patrons on Patreon at patreon.com growth decay, transformation.
2: Yeah, and you can uh, connect with us on Twitter at Breaking GDT and write to us at Breaking at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, join us next week when we will be discussing Four Days Out 209.
1: Better call Saul. <laughs>